0: Let's get to work. We're in Luke eleven five 5 to 13, and, and that's what we're dealing with today. But I had Nick read the whole uh, passage from the start again, just to remind us why it is that Jesus is uh, presenting this, this parable or these parables, depending how you look at it, there's a series of parables. Uh, he's been asked to teach them to pray like him. And he's done that. We looked at it last week. He gave them a model of what that looks like. And we said it's a model, not a mantra. It's got hooks on it for us to hang our prayers on, and away we go. Uh, But now what he wants to address is the, the attitude that we are to have towards this model of prayer, the approach that we are to have. And so he uses a parable. This is Jesus' fa- favorite way of making points. Parables, uh, he, the way he makes a point, he he paints a, a picture with a parable and he says, okay, uh, be like that person or, or, or do that thing or, or in this case, uh, take this approach to prayer. A parable is not like um, an allegory in an allegory every feature of the illustration corresponds to a spiritual truth in a parable the illustration just has a point and that's what you're meant to get there's no mystery to it there's no behind the scenes stuff going on and the point in this one is approach prayer is to be approached with the same boldness the same shameless conviction that the main character in this parable has towards meeting the needs that have arised in his in his circumstances the same relentless persistence prayer prayer like jesus had prayer like that the disciples have observed in the jesus in jesus that they want to have now in their own lives takes a certain nerve a certain front it takes a kind of willingness to pray when you don't know what to pray, as Paul laid out in Romans 8. You know, we all know that one, the spirit will translate what we can't or whatever. But the promise is even this kind of prayer is heard. Even that kind of prayer here, everyone laid on, everyone who prays, everyone who asks, who seeks, who knocks, their prayers are met with the presence and the goodness and the provision of God. Prayer as Jesus practiced it as he described it is not just that you know that universal reflex of the human heart that we mentioned last week but it is the trusted resource of the one who knows God, the God of the universe as father and as we said last week, Father is the Christian name for God and in prayer we we are to approach like audacious children you know kids you see him in the supermarket give me this give me that you want to but you don't i can recall that's not even in my notes i don't know why i said that i can recall many reasons why i had to approach my own dad sometimes thinking about it however never once was it done without various levels of anxiety whether it was around a discussion on needing help with something, whether it was around a discussion on on seeing if I could use his resources to help me out with something, or whether it was on owning up to something. There was never an ease of approach or even a sense of unrestricted right. Now, that would probably upset my dad to hear that, but it would ring true. Despite the fact that my dad is a very, very generous man and, and, and he, is, he is just wound up, his DNA, he is ideologically wound up to be committed to and motivated to help out his family members. And indeed, the greater the crisis you come to him with, the more he feels like he should get involved and help. Despite that, I have never gone with any request boldly and shamelessly or at just the spur of the moment it's always considered there's always a building up of confidence there's always a, a building up of cause around the request you need a plan that's presented and presents the legitimacy of the request the worthiness of it and what you hope to maybe achieve with his help and resources which is not completely unreasonable but with all the complexities of our relationship approaching dad about stuff came of a certain level of apprehension. We all know this feeling, I think, apprehension or anxiousness when it comes to making requests of people or friends or parents. And the greater the level of power or prestige or, or prevalence a person has or, or perhaps even their absence or distance that they have in your life, then the greater the apprehension and sometimes... It can be so great that the only reason we would ever approach someone is if it was a matter of life and death, like you've got nowhere else to go. And sometimes when it comes to making requests, you'll hear someone say, you're only going to get one shot at this. You know, don't don't stuff it up. We have lots of life experiences, lots of horizontal experiences that shape how we pray, shape how we approach God in our own prayer life that is why when the when Jesus was asked by the disciples and teach us to pray like you Jesus he began with well you you've got to know God as an approachable father as a father who you can depend on have total reliance on his care and and, and his concern for your well-being whether that's in your, your understanding of the fact that, that he holds the universe together, he's the highest reality in all creation, and how he runs human history, whether that's in the provision of just down-to-earth basic needs, of your physical needs, your spiritual needs, you have to have this understanding that God moves towards us as a good father whose presence is just an absolute decide necessity in our lives. Prayer according to how Jesus did it and described it, it bonds us to God, creates intimacy and relationship with God. If the God we pray to is perceived as a malevolent, performance-based God or or a non-personal kind of indifference, God of indifferent force, then the affairs of life are things in which we will walk alone because... God is not interested. God couldn't care less. That's the framework of our minds and our hearts. So we are apprehensive. We are anxious. But if God is Father, which is the extraordinary message of the Bible, then we can walk with our hand in his, as it were, like a child taking a grand adventure, like a child approaching audaciously a good father. Nevertheless, we are still praying to someone who, as Jesus has pointed out, is to be hallowed, is to be treated as sacred, is to be treated as the ultimate, to hold God as the most crucial and critical, important object in your hearts. He is this, to be the supreme standard of beauty and delight, the greatest reality in the universe. So, so how do we come towards a father that has that kind of kingly title behind his name? So here now in the parables after giving us the model Jesus moves to answer the question of approach and the nature of our approach and the nature of God's approachableness having told us who to pray to and what to pray Jesus tells parables to illustrate what the approach looks like and there is a level of absurdity to it all I had a conversation with Nick before about how the the pronouns change throughout this um, this, this, this passage here, but I'm not going into that today. There's a certain level of as if if this would happen in this passage. But the absurdity of this situation is used to make the point. That's what Jesus does with parables. Jesus tells a story in verses 5 to 8. Of an out of the blue uh, need that turns up in the life of the main character. And the main character in this parable is you. You are to insert yourself as the main character. Which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight, go and wake his whole entire house up, take all his food just to feed another friend who didn't even tell you they were coming? Everything in this parable apart from you are just props They don't have some spiritual meaning or some spiritual counterfigure. This is Jesus asking you the question, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when when need lands on your doorstep and, and you've got to turn to prayer, when you've got to approach God? Would you be as bold, as confidently shameless, as absurd as this? That you would approach with this non-anxious persistence and an inconvenient certainty that your needs will be met would you have the same approach as to go wake up your neighbor in the middle of the night disrupting his whole family just to raid his pantry and just not think twice about it would that would that be your approach to not receive someone with hospitality, this is how Jesus builds the tension, to not receive someone with hospitality was a social and cultural fail, even if it is at the middle of the night. Um, so there's tension here. The, the person's got a dilemma. But to wake someone else up and to put the, who's put their whole family to bed, that creates another layer of, of tension. In the first century Jewish homes, um, they're just one room. One living area is where, and, and everything happened there, and they all slept there, generally perhaps on a mat. You know, we, we separate ourselves from our kids. Uh, we, we sleep in one room, and we build as long a hallway as we can, and we stick them in bedrooms way down the other end. Then we put landmines and deadlocks and all kinds of things. They've got to be like SAS trained to end up in our bedroom in the morning. They do, but um, not in this story. Everybody's already together everybody's sleeping in the one spot so any movement's going to wake up the house a- and then the, it said the door is shut more inconvenience which doesn't mean they just went up and pressed it a little you know button on the door or turned a key it means they picked up a big steel bar or, or wooden um, beam and they slid it through two um, latches or rings that holds the door fast It's a noisy physical job. So if you manage to untangle yourself from the family, all sleeping together, um, then you had to go and negotiate the door and you had to do all that without waking up the kids or the dogs and the sheep and whatever animals that are sleeping in your house. And you're just sitting there, this person's sitting there, just hoping that none of that happens while you are at the front door ordering your breakfast. Here's the tension. For the neighbor, culture says, he should facilitate his friend's hospitality, respond to need, but it's going to cost him, and he isn't interested in the inconvenience, but because of his friend's boldness, not because they're friends, but because of the boldness that's being described here, he gets up and he gives him his needs. Jesus is saying, in this comical situation, this social dilemma, it is precisely because you were bold So confidently shameless in your approach, you're imagining this, that your friend who is now reconsidering friendship with you gets up and gives you what you asked for. It's the approach of impudence, the ESV says. And and the ESV leaves it like that because the word's hard to translate. If you've got the NIV, it'll say boldness. But the original word is this combination of boldness and shamelessness. It takes nerve, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not making any spiritual parallels. Uh, This is an absurd circumstance. So, in this parable, Jesus is not describing God just yet. He hasn't been asked to do that. So, the irritated neighbour is not God. He's just an irritated neighbour pictured in the mind of someone in these circumstances. Jesus has been asked, How can we pray like him? And now Jesus is showing them the approach. It's bold. It's confidently shameless. There's no anxiety. It's just straight up to the front door and make the circumstances of life and your requests known. It's like, I want to get to Arnhem Land. I want to be there in August. Make it happen. That's how Jesus prayed. And this is how they should pray. Don't come to God timidly. Just kind of dropping hints. Um, ah, there's this story, where is it? You know, if you could, if you could heal me, if you could do this, as if, if I could, tell me what you want. Tim Keller remarks The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. We can be that audacious. That's Jesus' point, and we are to use it. This reality and how, that, how, how that's nurtured and how that's borne out is made clear in verse 13 when Jesus begins, there's a twist and he talks about the Holy Spirit. But the parable has a second movement or maybe it's a separate parable, a list of parables. In verses 9 to 10, there's a threefold progression or a picture of bold prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, with corresponding outcomes, with giving, receiving, finding, revealing, and opening. This implies that there is to be a discipline and a devotion, an ongoing persistence on our part in prayer, and then the right of reply on God's part. But he will respond. To those who ask, it will be given. To those who seek, they will find. And to those who knock on the door the door is opened jesus backs over it again so he's making the point very clear this goes for everyone who prays like this anyone who has the nerve to approach god like this so they understand who god is so they approach him appropriately like he actually hears their prayers like he's actually concerned about their lives He will respond and they will not be disappointed. It seems to be an increasing level of activity uh, of involvement in this form of prayer from asking from this initiating kind of the request to seeking and this looking for wisdom and, and looking for insight and comfort from God to knocking to pounding on the very door for an answer. And all three of these verbs are described as a continuous action. So it's not just ask, done, it's asking, continuous, continuous, day after day, seeking day after day, knocking day after day for daily bread, for daily forgiveness, for daily protection of the soul. The, the model of prayer. It's not a one-off event. This is, this is a pattern for life that this is about faith and the certainty of our faith and our position as children of God and our pursuit of relationship with God and spiritual maturity, uh, uh, our the ability to hallow God, to make much of him, uh, to, ha- to ha- feel in a solid way his presence in our life and not about getting a car or, 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 or a marriage or, I don't know, say a halo, LR, thermal scope. You know, I keep dropping these hints. Um, is born out in the fact that it's the Holy Spirit, the twist at the end. It's like a twist. The Holy Spirit is never mentioned until verse 13. And there he is, the great gift that that God provides them as this generous, gracious gift. So so prayer is about our our intimacy with God, our relationship with God. That's what we're pursuing relentlessly in our primary sense. For the Jews, this is a mind-blowing privilege. They longed for this idea of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to be personally available, personally applied to their lives. This is is the hearing of the fulfillment of promises uh, from the Old Testament, from, from Moses through to Joel. Jesus is telling you, you can have the same access, the same intimacy, the same power that you've observed in him in your life. Because God has given you the same spirit to to be at work in prayer. This is how God actually hallows himself in your life, makes himself known. This is God saying yes uh, to to being in an unbreakable relationship with you. It reveals that God wants wants to strengthen bonds between you and him. There's not some kind of distance in these prayers. It's intimate and close. His grasp on your hand is sure and unshakable. This is the certainty that Luke wants you to gain out of this gospel. It's achieved in prayer as well. It's why Paul can say, what can separate you from the love of God? This is his conclusion in Romans 8. God, through the work of Jesus on the cross, has dealt with what separates us from God. He's dealt with our sin. And then with the with the resurrection and ascension back to heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit, God now deals with 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 um, the assisting us in boldness and certainty and concrete experience in prayer. the Holy Spirit is our assistance in prayer. nevertheless, knowing all of that, kind of loop down to the bottom, it's this second parable um, this description here. Ask, Seek, Knock, uh, that, that I actually find challenging. That, that Prayer is to be this ongoing activity that pursues and lives in something real and solid and relational. It's more than just words and claiming presence, but it must be nurtured through time and effort, a daily exercise of trust and dependency on God. Even when it's boring, I'm actually very good at bold Prayer response to circumstances and situations like the one painted in this original parable. But what about when it's ongoing? What about when you've got so much to do? Too busy to pray? What about when heaven falls silent? What about when I don't get what I what I, what I want? There is a tendency in me to grow cold. There is a tendency in me to grow distant. There is a tendency in me to get busy trying to achieve the outcomes of prayer that I want without spending time with the one who's gonna deliver them. Like it's it's insane. It does my head in. But here's Jesus addressing the tendency of prayer to become tiresome, cold and distant. Prayer is bold and shameless confidently practiced daily it's a long-term trust in treasuring God where we encounter God as a real personal being that's the facilitation of the Holy Spirit even when you don't feel like it even when you don't feel like praying ask seek not we have access to God the Holy Spirit has been given in order for us to be able to do that to just throw our life before him jesus moves seamlessly out of this part of the parable about how they are to approach prayer to now illustrate again with another parable the willingness of god to hear and answer prayer this is now jesus addressing the character of god and the assurance of prayer tidying up the loose ends if you want sure pray with nerve but what does god do with that nerve that boldness Does he get irritated? It's God sitting there, you know, screening, ghosting calls. Ah, Mason again, same issue. No, no, not today. Verse 11 and 13 are not rocket science. There's no mystery to be interpreted. It's logic. It's absurd logic, but but that's the point. If banged up, uh, sinful fathers, described here as evil, that's strong language, but we are we are prone to sin and here Jesus introduces again the imagery of a father and it's to contrast the fathers that we know and that we are with the father that God is if they if I am capable of being generous and compassionate are basically reliable to be for the care and the well-being of my children then how much more Our heavenly father. Now, sadly, there are some fathers who are more fiend than father, but the point stands. No ordinary father would be so cruel as to give something dangerous uh, that is harmful when something good is asked for. That's the point here. Something good has been asked for. Something that's good for sustaining life, faith, work in the kingdom of God. Is God going to give you something harmful toward that? God will not. God will only give you what is good for you, not what is harmful for you. Now, if you are asking for something that will bring your intimacy to God, with God into ruin, uh, that will do harm to your faith, uh, the ongoing absence of that prayer being answered might let you know that 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 prayer is inappropriate isn't going to build you isn't going to continue to to strengthen your faith jesus comparison and contrasting the compassion of god with even that of sinful fathers to say you you can trust them with your needs how much more can you trust god with your needs just step in boldly jesus promises that those who ask will receive the spiritual blessing pointing out that father's kindness the heavenly father's kindness is greater than human compassion and the ultimate revealing of that the, the twist at the end is that he gives the holy spirit and the role the work of the holy spirit in our lives is to lead us to salvation is to secure that promise in our hearts is to sustain our souls and our faith in all things that's why this is the most incredible gift helps you sit with the fact that you didn't end up with the halo scope that you wanted. God desires prayer that is more than just a check-in and check-off. God actually wants prayer with nerve. He wants prayer that's bold. He wants prayer that is even shameless. Phil Riken calls it a sanctified audacity, a confidence to approach him. Just to repurpose a C.S. Lewis quote in his book, The Weight of Glory. Um, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised by Jesus, it would seem that the Lord finds our prayers not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures when it comes to prayer when it comes to intimacy with God that is on offer like that's the point of these parables that's the promise that's what Jesus is trying to lay it down and nurture into the lives of the disciples into the lives of you which one of you would actually does actually shamelessly boldly continuously understand God in such a way that you just step up to the plate and let your requests be known opportunity is now i'm not going to close in with prayer again i'm not going to make you pray together this week like last week but right now in the space in between the time it takes the band to get back on stage and close out our day why don't you pray why don't you pray to the father boldless bold shameless prayer of where you're at in life your relationship with him your desire for that to be deeper stronger better